Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. Hello, everybody. This is Ian coming at you with something a little bit different uh, for this week. Uh, For our passage this week, we looked at Genesis 22, which is in some ways the climax of the entire Abraham narrative. Uh, It's when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And uh, we did something a little bit different. This passage for many people uh, throughout history has been a difficult passage to understand and to relate to just because it seems to cast God in a negative light and it it's a really challenging test of you know asking Abraham to commit not only murder but murder of his own child and so there's a lot of questions and confusion and so we did something a bit different instead of having a normal sermon we did what's called a manuscript bible study and so what I'm going to do here today is going to talk to you about what is a manuscript study why do we do it and then just kind of go over some of the things we learned in our study on uh, that when we went over it in church on Sunday and also encourage you to maybe take some time to try out your own study in your own time. So, uh, yeah, so why do a manuscript study instead of preach on this sermon? Like I said, this is, for many people, a very difficult chapter. Uh, For some, one of the most challenging chapters in the entire Bible. And if you're really take the time to study the Bible, you're going to come across passages that leave you scratching your head or leave you confused or about the character of God or about what we're supposed to do as Christians. And so um, you're not always going to have a pastor there to preach a sermon on the subject or uh, somebody to talk to about these things. And so it's helpful if, you know, in the role of leaders and teachers, if We can help equip people with the tools necessary so that when you're reading the Bible on your own and you come across a difficult passage, you can kind of know what to do and how to figure this out on your own. Jesus taught the people in parables a lot of time, and he wouldn't always give them the answer or the meaning. He would just teach them parables, and he trusted them to be able to think through what the lesson he was trying to teach them was. And so the Bible, in a lot of ways, has a lot of puzzles like that, where sometimes it's up to us to solve it. And it's always good to talk about these things with other people or, uh, you know, even searching through books or commentaries or finding internet places that are good resources uh, to help expand upon the knowledge. But we like to be able to do it on ourselves as a starting place. So that's why we do manuscript study. Now, if you don't know what manuscript study is, it's a form of Bible study that involves more hands-on approach to the scripture. So you can do it with just your normal Bible, but I like to recommend that you find the passage. You can find the passages, you know, the whole Bible is on websites like Bible Gateway. And I recommend Bible Gateway because you can use the settings to turn off uh, the headings, the verse numbers, the chapter numbers, etc. You can click a little check mark to turn them all off and then print it out. 
And it's super helpful to take away the verse numbers and headings and everything like that, because then you're reading the material like it was written when it was published. You know, the Bible wasn't written with all those numbers and headings and section titles. It was just written like we would find a normal book. Um, and so it helps you to just be able to focus more on the material. I like to just Times New Roman, 12 font, double space it, and then print it. And when I do that, I recommend having some markers or colored pencils or crayons and highlighters, pens, those kind of things. Um, and I'll explain why in a moment, but just writing utensils, preferably things in different colors. And then uh, also, if you have access to them, bring along some commentaries or uh, books, theological books written on the book of the Bible that you're reading. Um, there's some really great commentaries you can borrow from the library at church or uh, other places that you can get them. So recommend those. Yeah. And so the method of this study is once you have your passage printed out, so for today it would be Genesis 22, and only up through, we're only going to go through verse 19. So Genesis 22, 1 to 19, you get your colored pencils or your assorted crayons, whatever. And then what would happen is you read through the entire passage, and as you go, you use different colors to mark up and make notes on your page. Uh, one of the methods that I like to use, I have a color-coded system. Um, I use the color red to highlight or underline every character that shows up. So people, animals, things like that. Green I use to highlight locations and settings. Blue I use to rec or to make note of passage of time. So if it says like the next day or three hours or things like that, shows the passage of time. Purple, I use for repeated phrases. If I find that there's a certain word or a certain phrase that gets repeated over and over and over, I try to make note of that because I feel like it's important. And then orange, I just use as a kind of catch-all for dynamic, exciting kind of action or things like that. Um, you can use any method that works best and makes sense to you. But I, I do recommend using different colors to try and highlight, especially characters, places, and uh, repeated things, just because those are things that are all important to the story of the Bible, that are important to the narrative. And if you're doing it this way, once what you'll notice is you might start to see patterns emerge as you look at your page and just see different colors representing the different things. You might say, oh, wow, there's a lot of traveling going on. There's a lot of places. Or this one phrase really pops up a lot. I wonder why that's important. Another be uh, benefit to this method is that if you've read the Bible a lot or if you grew up going to church and you've heard a lot of Bible stories, doing it this way, like literally going word by word and trying to make sure you get everything in the right color, forces you to slow down your Bible reading and spend more time with the material to focus on what is it actually saying? You know, just because you're going to be taking these studious notes, you're going to be thinking about it a lot more and digesting it and paying more attention to what is happening in the story um, rather than sometimes if you know the story or if you know 
this passage or you memorized it, you know, when you were in Sunday school, you can just sometimes fly by without actually thinking about what does this mean and chewing on what the content of it is. As you go through doing this method, the things that you're going to be looking for in the big picture method of what we're doing is you're going to first be observing, then you're going to interpret, and then you're going to apply. That's the process of what we're doing here. So again, that's you observe, you interpret, and then you apply. So observation, that's the first step. That's just going through what does this passage say? This one is the most easy to overthink because we want to just jump to interpretation or application when we read. But observation, again, partly what this is about is it slows us down, strips us to just the bare minimum and is asking, what does this passage say? So you're not trying to look for like, well, maybe it means this or this. You're just saying, who are the characters in this story? For our story today, it's like Abraham, Isaac, the servants. Um, what happened? What was significant dialogue? Things like that. Um, was there any action? Uh, did they go anywhere? It's literally just looking at everything you're going to be highlighting and saying what went on and you observe. Once you kind of have a baseline for that, that's when you move into interpretation. So observation is about what does the passage say? Interpretation is what does this passage mean? And that's where you can start delving into the content a little bit more and trying to figure out the puzzle of it, I guess you could say. Um, this is the place where if you have questions, you know, if, while you're going through the, uh, the page in the manuscript, as you have questions, write on the side of the paper or somewhere, anything you might have, big or small, you know, it could be, why is this character wearing that shirt? Why are there two servants? Or it could be something big, like, in our story today, why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Write down your questions, and then when you get to interpretation, that's when you start uh, delving into trying to answer them, if you can. So, what does this passage mean? You look for a spiritual significance. You look for potential uh, answers to your questions. During interpretation, it, I find it actually is helpful to have a Bible on hand or a commentary. This is the time to like look at relevant other scriptures. You can look at the context of like what happened before this story and what happened after this story. And it might help provide some extra answers or insight into why what's going on here actually is relevant. Once you've done all that, the final stage is apply and the application portion of this. So if observations, what does the passage say? Interpretations, what does the passage mean? A application is what does this passage mean for me? You know, if you're the one studying the scripture, if you're the one seeking a relationship with God, if this passage is true, how does this passage change my life today or this week? Um, how does it change the way I'm living my life? And so that's where you know, what we come together to do on Sundays is study Bible together and figure out how we can live better as Christians, loving God more and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so that's the method, just going through a page, highlighting it in different colors, um, trying to figure out what does it, 
how we can observe, interpret, and apply the lessons from the passage into uh, take the teachings and apply it to our lives. When we do this, it helps tremendously in us understanding more about God's uh, word in the Bible and what it is saying to us in our lives. And so I want to invite you now to practice. I'm going to read through the passage, but I encourage you, if you want to, to try it at home. You can pause the podcast here, print out Genesis 22, 1 to 19, and then go through it. And then when you're ready, you can come back and I'll have what we talked about on our Sunday, uh, what we learned together with some of our observations, interpretations, and applications. So go have fun. I'm going to read the passage now. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. 
Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, hopefully you've had time to read through the passage on your own. If you printed out and took some colored pencils and went through the passage, great. I'm excited to talk about this with you. If you just want to hear about what we discussed in church, that's fine too. But I'm going to be talking about it through the process of observation, interpretation, and application. So... First, what did we observe happened in this story? What was going on? Good place to start that's pretty easy is the characters. The characters that are here are Abraham, Isaac, the two servants, the angel of the Lord. And we have donkeys and a ram. One of the things we talked about on Sunday, though, was characters that were not featured, which when you're reading passages in a in a book or you know book series it's easy to pick up on these kind of things more and so one of the things that people noticed was that Ishmael and Sarah you know both family members of Abraham Ishmael being Abraham's firstborn son through Hagar and Sarah being Abraham's wife and Isaac's mother are not mentioned in this story which could potentially be significant The setting, we start out in Abraham's tents at Beersheba, then they go on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah, and then they come back to Beersheba. What happened in the story? God tested Abraham, and Abraham went without much rebuttal, which again, something that observed because we've read through Abraham's life so far. Abraham actually in the past has argued with God when he doesn't agree with something or he's having a lack of faith. He doesn't do that here, which is interesting. But we'll save that more for interpretation. We're just looking at what happens. So Abraham goes without much discussion. Uh, They leave the servants behind. Isaac carries the wood and asks about what are they going to sacrifice. Abraham is getting ready to go through with it and ties up his son and takes a knife. But God stops it at the last minute, and then he commends Abraham for passing the test and gives him blessings. Also of note for our observations are a couple repeated phrases, uh, notably, your son, your only son, which is mentioned at least three times. So how do we interpret this story? The way we did interpretation was we looked at a couple of our questions that we had. So for us, you know, one of the first questions we looked at was, why was Mount Moriah chosen as the location or the mountain range in the land of Moriah? Why did Abraham have to travel instead of just being able to set up an altar where he lived? This is one of those questions where it helps to have a commentary or extra outside knowledge besides the text of what you just have. So whether it be Google, you know, Google, use with a grain of salt because there's some things 
on the internet where, you know, anybody can put anything on the internet. So you have to just fact check and make sure what you're getting is good research. But um, one of the things we noticed was a relevant passage from a different book of the Bible. So in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, we find out that Solomon is building the temple. And here's what it says. Then Solomon, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. It's very interesting. This is one of the only other places in the Bible that Moriah is mentioned. But it seems that uh, the mountain that Abraham is told to go sacrifice Isaac on thousands of years before the event, or hundreds of years, is going to be where Solomon's temple is built and is going to be the temple mount in the future. That could have some spiritual and theological implications for later. Something else we kind of talked about is, should we sacrifice our kids or kill somebody if a heavenly messenger told us to? The answer we came to conclude was no. And again, part of this is just knowing the wider Abraham story, but also just looking at what is unique and significant about this event um, that it wouldn't apply to a broader, you know, every Christian context. In our story, this is not the first time God has appeared to Abraham. It's at least the eighth time over a period of 25 plus years. Abraham has spoken to God and interacted with God uh, for a long time and has heard the voice of God on multiple occasions over decades. This was not their first interaction together. It wasn't just some voice appearing in his ear saying, go kill your son. So if you do have those voices, you might be more inclined to get psychological or medical help rather than trusting that it's God speaking to you. Um, this was not a one-on-one interaction with Abraham, but this was more like Abraham's final exam. He'd walked with God for a long time. He had messed up in some areas. He had succeeded in others. And so this was God's final test for him to see, are you going to really have faith in me? The other thing that made it unique is that God had promised him that Isaac was going to be the son whom the blessings were going to come and whom the family was going to come. And so God had repeated this to Abraham over and over and over. And so Abraham believed that it was more of a test of not, do you love me enough to sacrifice your son? But do you trust that I'm going to fulfill my promise that even if Isaac is dead, He's still going to be the one who gives you heirs and be your blessing. And so that's the test that Abraham was really being tested on and that he passed. On the note of Isaac, though, something else we talked about in church was why does he call Isaac Abraham's one and only son? And why does that phrase get repeated over and over? We know that Abraham has another son named Ishmael. At this point in the story, Ishmael had been 
banished uh, along with his mother and uh, was said that, like I mentioned, that Isaac was going to be the son of the promise, the son who the heir had come from. But it still feels really pointed of God to keep using this phrase over and over, your one and only son, your son whom you love. And again, this is something that seems to make more sense when you look at the wider biblical story and not just this passage. The related text we found that seemed to relate to this was from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16, a very famous one that says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a lot of similarities between this story and what happens to Jesus as he goes to the cross. They both happen in what appears to be the region of Jerusalem. Abraham is there before Jerusalem is founded, Isaac carries the wood on his back, which in a Jewish commentary that we looked at, even the Jewish commentators said that this was reminiscent of a form of execution that uh, Romans would do, where they would have crucified victims carry their cross upon their back. Isaac carries the wood just as Romans made uh, their victims carry the crosses. It takes a three days journey to get to this place, which is sort of reminiscent of the three days that Jesus stayed in the tomb. One major difference, though, is that when God puts his son on the cross to sacrifice him, there is no hand to stop. There's no voice to stop his hand. There's nothing to stop his sacrificing Jesus. And so God doesn't ask of Abraham anything that God wouldn't do himself. It's not just some callous, do this for me because I like playing with your emotions test. This is God putting into effect the gospel story nearly 2,000 years before Jesus is going to come. It's God promising and giving Abraham, you know, the final verdict of, yes, you have served me faithfully. Um, And that despite your mistakes, despite everything, you have been a faithful servant and the whole world is going to be blessed through your offspring. All nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so as we come to the end of our interpretation, we are left with our application and conclusion. And if we look at the application, we can ask, how does this passage relate to our lives? If this passage is true, what does it mean? How does it change how we live? Scripture is many layered, and sometimes there are going to be different lessons for different times in our lives. Sometimes two people can be reading the same passage together and come to two different conclusions about how that means they should live. And 
many times, both interpretations of how to live this passage out could be equally true, just depending on what their life circumstances look like. Sometimes passages are more straightforward and more narrowly interpreted, but the living, breathing word of God has different messages for different people at different times in their lives. And so there could be like 20 different ways to find something that's meaningful to you in one passage. And so we just took a small handful, but there's lots more. So feel free to, if there's something that God is putting on your heart that really spoke to you in this passage, test it with the spirit. And if it seems like it's good, go live that out. But some of the applications we had talked about usually formed in the form of a questioner is like, the first was, what would it look like if we were to weigh ourselves and find the things that were most precious to us? If God asked us to give up our most precious thing, would we be willing to go like Abraham or would we hesitate? Why or why not? And how do we bring that to God? Another thing we talked about is the fact that this story does put Jesus into our minds and hearts and that God is telling the story of the cross, you know, a few millennia before Jesus is going to appear on the scene. So if this is true, then it's God showing, you know, revealing something beforehand that will make more sense later. And so if God has done that with characters and stories in the Bible, he sometimes does that in our lives too. So our application for this one was, what is something from your past where you couldn't see God's hand in it at the time, but when you, as life went on and you reflected and changed and looked back, you saw that God was doing something big or setting something up for your life or that he had been working all along and you just didn't see it. What's a story from your life that you could tell people about how God did that? Because that's where our testimony grows. Just like Genesis 22 can be used to point people to Jesus. What are things in your life where God was working and you may not have realized it, but it's part of your testimony that glorifies God and points people to him. And then one of the last things that we talked about was, do you believe that God is working for ultimate good when you can't see it? Abraham did. Abraham didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but he trusted God and had enough faith that everything was going to be okay, that God wasn't going to go against his character, that um, he wasn't going to be a liar, that he wasn't going to delight in human blood or sacrifice, that somehow Isaac was going to be the heir of the promise as God had told him. So even when it seems that our lives are out of whack or it feels like we're being asked to do things that feel impossible or wrong, do you believe that God is still working for ultimate good even when we cannot see it? Yes or no, what does it look like to take that to God about where you are on that? What does it look like to pray to God? And if you do have hangups and don't see him working for ultimate good, if you look at the evil and injustice in this world and 
scratch your head or shake your fist, then bring that to God and talk about that with him this week. Because as we've seen in our lessons throughout this summer teaching series, that going towards God with our frustrations and problems means that we move in intimacy towards God and with God. And actually not the opposite, that God does not get mad or rebuke us, but actually welcomes our criticism and discontent because it means we are still seeking him and seeking relationship with him. And we'll usually get answers. And so that was just a small smattering of things that we could learn from this passage. Uh, Really, you could probably spend at least three hours just talking about all the different things that it means and going even deeper about what this passage has to offer. Um, But we just touched on some of the quick base things. And so that's our introduction to manuscript study. I invite you to, if you haven't, or if you did already, take some more time to just explore this passage meaningfully, you know, ponder it deeply, go deep in it, because this is a confusing passage. This can be a hard one, but it is rich and it really does help point to God and Christ and just help us to grow in our love for him and for each other. And so take time to just go deep and bring your real questions to it and try and figure them out, you know, observe, interpret, and apply it. And after that, feel free to use this method with other difficult passages in scripture. Or if you're up for a real challenge, print out an entire book and just use that as your daily devotionals to go through and just work your way through the Bible that way. I want to thank you guys for your time and for tuning into this one. And I hope that we were all able to learn something together as we learned how to talk about Genesis 22 and we learned how to manuscript study together. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.